0: And we'll read various sections from this letter this morning because what I want to try to do is to share with you some thoughts on the transcendent excellency of Christ. The transcendent excellency. By transcendent, I mean it's far beyond any other excellency. A transcendent excellency of Christ. And that, I think, is what Is one of the main themes of the book of Colossians. Uh, His preeminence, Christ's preeminence, and our sufficiency in Him. I think if you were going to summarize the book of Colossians, that's what Paul was aiming at there. The preeminence of Christ and then our sufficiency in Christ. But um, before I do that, I wanted to read you something uh, that I I thought was quite amazing. I listened to Ravi Zacharias yesterday, and he had a quote from Napoleon uh, that I thought was amazing. I thought, I have to look that quote up and see if I can find it. Well, actually, uh, it's in this book, uh, The Person of Christ, that, uh, that Granted Ministries reprinted um, it's a, the perfection of his humanity viewed as proof of his divinity. And what, uh, by uh, a man named Philip, Philip, Philip Schaff, who was a church historian and writer 100 years ago. Uh, but in the back of the book, he, he gives uh, some accounts of people, famous people's uh, thoughts concerning Christ and uh, one of them was uh Napoleon Bonaparte which was the uh, the quote that uh, Ravi Zacharias used on the on the radio is in in this book so i just wanted to read some of this to you because i thought it was pretty amazing now you know Napoleon was a a brilliant military genius really uh, in terms of his uh, career as a a uh, leader. He was uh, defeated finally and exiled to an island out in the Atlantic, uh, St. Helena. And yeah, I think he spent the last six years of his life on that island. But uh, according to the account, he frequently read the Bible Bible while he was in that uh, situation of exile and at one point he was having a conversation with another man there concerning the person of Christ and this other person uh, mentioned I just want to find it here uh, that he didn't see how he, he would admit that Christ was a great person he would even admit that Christ was a genius in his own realm But to say that he was divine uh, was beyond what this man said he could believe. Uh, He said, uh, I see only the power of genius and the action of a commanding spirit, much like what Alexander or Caesar or you serve, speaking to Napoleon, Possessed. To that Napoleon replied these things. Now I'm I'm just picking out sections here. This is a long, a long account here. But uh, he said, "This is Napoleon speaking." I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is not a man. By that I think just a man. I think he means superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and whatever other religions the distance of infinity. And then he's speaking of Christ, he says, Everything in him astonishes me. His spirit overawes me, and his will confounds me. Between him and whoever else in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. He is truly a being by himself. His ideas and his sentiments, the truths which he announced, his manner of convincing, are not explained either by human organization or by the nature of things. He goes on. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires, but on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ alone founded His empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for Him. Christ speaks, and at once generations become His. Christ speaks, and at once generations become His. By stricter, closer ties than that of those of blood, by that most sacred and most indissolvable of unions, he lights up the flames of love which prevail over every other love. And then he says, Christ's greatest miracle, undoubtedly, is the reign of charity. Reign, R-E-I-G-N, the reign of charity. Christ's greatest miracle is what he is able to put into the hearts of people and bring out of the hearts of people. I read this thought recently. In the Old Testament, God had certain things that he wanted his people to do that would distinguish them, make them distinguished from all the other nations of the world well, like circumcision or like having the Sabbath as their special day, certain things like that that he specifically told his people. Now this will distinguish you from everybody else. But this writer brought out how that that has changed radically in the new covenant. That was in the old covenant. Those external things were to distinguish them. But what's the, the, the distinguishing mark of the people of God in the new covenant love isn't that amazing the thing that will distinguish us and the thing that God wants to distinguish us with from all the nations of the world is our love by this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your love for one another Well, that's somewhat of an introduction <clears throat> to what I, wanna, I want us to think about today. So let's turn to Colossians. And again, I, I just, just say I'm going to try to share with you some thoughts related to the transcendent excellency of Christ. Why don't we pray once again here before we read the scriptures. Father, we ask that by Thy Spirit You would reveal something more of the wonder of Your Son. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Work in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God's desire for his son is that he might have first place in everything. That is, he might have preeminence. That's the word the King James Version uses in, in the verses that we're going to read here in a moment. Preeminence in all of creation. That he might be all in all. The goal of god's creation is the exaltation of christ think about that the goal of god's creation is the exaltation of christ and the goal of god's new creation which is the church at least the beginning of his new creation is the church the goal of the church what he has for the church is the exaltation of christ so the goal of creation is the exaltation of Christ. The goal of God's new creation is the exaltation of Christ. So, if we have anything else in first place in our lives except Christ, you're wasting your time. We're wasting our time. Because God's purpose for everything is the exaltation of Christ. And if we've got something else in first place, you're not gonna, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. God's determined that Christ will have first place in everything. Another way of saying this is that Christ is the key to understanding history, every event, past, present, and any future thing that will be history. The goal of all that is the exaltation of Christ. So that's what we want here today. For Christ to be exalted. So let's read some sections here in this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. We'll start in chapter 1 and verse 13 and read down through verse 20 to begin with. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So right there we learn something. We learn that Christ is a king. We, and if you're a Christian you've been put into his kingdom transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins so we see that Christ is the redeemer the one who forgives our sins he is the image of the invisible God that word image is icon that's where we get in the Greek it's the word icon and so, as we look at Christ, we see what God is like. He who has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus said. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible And invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. So, in the visible realm, you think of the rulers and potentates and kings, uh, they're all created by him and for him. In the invisible realm, you think of the angelic realm, whatever authorities there are there. These were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place, or like I said, the King James says, preeminence have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. So a a transcendent view of the person of Christ is what Paul's trying to give us here. To help us to see the wonder of this one who actually walked the earth 2,000 years ago. Well, let's skip over then to chapter 2, and we'll begin with verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at La- Laodicea, And for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So God's mystery is Christ And he's giving us more and more, as his people, a true knowledge of who this person is. And he says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then if you skip down to verse 9... For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That is in Christ. All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is head over all rule and authority. And then if you skip over to chapter 3, verse 11. This is kind of jumping right into the middle of a section here. But he's talking about... The renewal that happens when a person becomes a Christian and that continuing renewal that goes on. And he says, For those people, there are no distinctions between Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or freeman, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all. And in all, so again, I say the main theme of this letter is the preeminence of Christ, Christ in first place in everything, and then our sufficiency in Him. But Paul wrote this letter and brings was, you know, bringing those things out because there were some false teachings that were being presented to this church uh, that he was aware of. Apparently, Paul wasn't the founder of this church, but he was very much in contact with the people of this church. And he felt compelled to stand against some of these teachings that were starting to come in uh, at this time. So this is what what he was dealing with in terms of some of the things that are mentioned in the letter that we don't have time to go into today. But basically, let me just say it this way. What Paul was trying to tell these people was that any teaching that denies the full deity of Christ or that we need something besides Christ to bring us to full salvation is a heresy and must be resisted. He said, don't listen to that. Don't give any place to that kind of thought. The Colossians were being told that they needed some great wisdom or some philosophy besides Christ. Or that they needed to perform some special religious rites like certain ceremonies or circumcision or uh, having to observe certain religious days. Uh, Paul says don't listen to that. Or that they needed to practice some form of self-abasement or severe treatment of the body. Or they needed to have some mystical experience or see some certain visions or worship certain angels. All these things were starting to Come into this church. Paul says don't listen to any of that. Uh, You don't need any of that to be made complete in Christ. All you need is Christ in order to be complete. Uh, You simply need to know more of who he is and what he's done for you. In other words, Paul was saying everything you need and even beyond your wildest imagination in terms of what you could possibly need, are yours in Christ. He's the image of the invisible God. In him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's before all things. And by him all things were made. Now, how are you going to need anything more than that? All things were created not only by Him, but for Him. And in Him, all things hold together. Just think about that little idea. Little. That's, that was the wrong way of saying that. Think about that big idea. Uh, He's not not only the Lord of the universe, not only the creator of the universe, the governor of the universe, the king of the universe. He's the sustainer of the universe. In Him all things consist. You see that there in chapter 1, 17, uh, the last part of the verse. In Him all things hold together. What's that mean? Well, in Him all things are kept together. In their present state, their existence, their order, their arrangement are continued in the present form by His power. He's what's holding it all together. Uh, The writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 verse 3 says, He upholds all things by the word of His power. If it wasn't for Christ right now holding all things together by the word of His power, everything would fly apart. I don't know what that means, but... I know that Paul is saying he's the sustainer of all that is right now. It's not just going on on its own by the so-called laws of nature. It's Christ working presently right now in every particle of matter and in every part of the universe holding things together. If Christ was to remove his power for a second this whole creation would fall into disorder and chaos and the, the scientists are trying to find these forces that bind matter together you know and they talk about the weak force and the strong force and all the interactions there and they're try, they, they keep digging deeper and deeper but you know what they're never going to find the answer ultimately in any scientific investigation because the answer what's really holding things together is Christ well uh, Paul is just trying to bring out you don't need anything but him because he's everything (laughs) everything uh, that we need is found in him But not only is Christ preeminent in creation, he's also preeminent in redemption. He's sovereign in salvation. He's the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead. And it's through him that all things that are going to be reconciled to God will be reconciled. It's only through him. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And I don't know exactly what he's talking about, the things in heaven. I don't know if he's saying that, just thinking of the saints that have already gone to heaven, they're the ones that, the only way they were ever reconciled was through the the death of Christ. Uh, But whatever he's saying, he's saying this, it's all... All reconciliation that takes place, takes place in Christ. It's all found in Him. Uh, Any supposed wisdom or philosophy that denies His preeminence in salvation is false and destructive. Anything that adds to Christ for salvation means He's not all-sufficient for salvation. And what Paul's saying He is all-sufficient for salvation. So if you add anything to Christ for your salvation apart from just simple trust, faith in Christ, you're missing it. So Paul would say never allow anyone or anything to come between you and Christ, any supposed uh, means of a fuller or more complete salvation. No revelation, no speculation, no philosophy. No legal requirements, no asceticism, no ceremonies, no visions, no mystical experience, no rituals, no religious ordinances, no restrictions. Don't allow any of that to come between you and Christ because He's all you need. As Christians, Christ holds first place in everything for us. We have to always retain that reality he's our creator well let me say it this way our creator is Christ our sustainer is Christ our ruler is Christ our authority is Christ our master is Christ our lord is Christ our redeemer is Christ our reconciler to God the father is Christ our access to God is Christ our wisdom is Christ our philosophy is Christ Our knowledge is Christ. Our preaching is Christ. Our religion is Christ. Our law is Christ. You want me to keep going? Our commandment is Christ. Our teaching is Christ. Our circumcision is Christ. Our discipline is Christ. Our stability is Christ. Our motivation is Christ. Our assurance is Christ. Our power is Christ. Our peace is Christ. Our glory is Christ. Our hope of glory is Christ. Um, Let me add something that John Piper said. Christ is our success. Christ is our significance. Christ is our fulfillment. Christ is our satisfaction. Christ is our security. That's because Christ is all. So, you could go on with the list because Christ has first place in everything. He is our all in all. Now, let me just say Something about the last part of that. Christ is all, but Paul doesn't leave it at that. He says he's in all. Yeah, let's look at it here. I'm sure we read it to begin with, but it's at the, uh, chapter three, verse eleven, the last part of the very last part of the verse. Christ is all and in all. What he's saying there is that for every Christian no matter what their background, he goes, you know, Jew, Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, no matter who they are, where they're from, for for that person, Christ is all. If you're a Christian, Christ is all. And he's in all. Because Christ is in all true believers... We no longer boast in any kind of ethnic distinctives uh, or any kind of you know, certain intelligence that we have over somebody else or our culture being different than somebody else's or our race or homeland or social status. All those things go by the wayside because for the Christian, Christ is all and he's in all the number one primary mark of newness in the Christian and in the church is that Christ is all and in all. So, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you're from China or America. If you're a Christian, the main thing about you is Christ and that Christ is all to you and he's a reality. He's in your life. And Paul says, In Him we are made complete. Now, to me, one of the most amazing things about this letter is that as as Paul brings out all these incredible truths concerning Christ, then he says, Now that Christ is in you, that one who's all sufficient lives in you. The one who is preeminent in creation, the one who is preeminent in redemption, this all-sufficient one lives in us. And Paul says this is the glorious mystery that's been revealed, that was hidden from ages past and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to reveal, uh, to make known What are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? This is a great mystery that's been made known to and through God's people. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says that all of his preaching of the word of God is centered on this one thing, of proclaiming Christ in all his fullness, this Christ who lives in the believers, in a believer, so that every believer may come to realize and walk in completeness in Christ. You see that let's just read it again. Well we actually we didn't read this section before. Uh, chapter one verse twenty five through twenty nine. Chapter one twenty five. And of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed upon me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been made, been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known that what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose, I also labor and strive according to his power which mightily works within me. So I think there's a simple logic that, that Paul is using here. And it's this. If Christ is all, and Christ is all-sufficient, and Christ lives in you, what else can you need? If Christ is all, and Christ is all-sufficient, and Christ lives in you, then you have everything you need in Christ. It's just a matter of understanding, appreciating, appropriating by faith all that we are in Christ. That's what the Christian life is all about. If we will truly trust in this all-sufficient one, we will be equipped by him with all that we need to live as new creatures in this fallen world, to live a life of, of love, which is what we said is the distingu- distinguishing mark of the Christian in the first place after Paul talks about this renewing of our mind. Actually, the renewing, I thought this was very interesting. If you skip over to chapter 3, where he says, put on the new self, the new man, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. That word renewed is actually renovated or renovated. God's renovating us into it says uh, according to the image of the one who created him in other words God's renovating our life our thoughts our minds to a true knowledge of Christ that's what's going on in the Christian life a renovation and you see that I mean let's Take, for example, the, the Apostle Paul himself. Uh, he went from a persecutor of Christ to a proclaimer of Christ. God renovated him. He went from a hater of Christ to a lover of Christ. When God was revealed to him there on the Damascus Road, He didn't know much about Christ. In fact, he said, who are you, Lord? He knew that whatever happened to him had to be substantial enough that it was the Lord that was doing it. But he said, who are you, Lord? But now as he's writing this letter, he's sitting in prison because of Christ. And he's learned a lot from that initial encounter there in Damascus. There's been an ongoing... uh, renovation of his life and so now he can proclaim Jesus to be king over a vast spiritual kingdom and he can acknowledge that he's the savior from our sins the forgiveness of sins in Christ he can acknowledge him as the image of the invisible God the one that God uses to communicate himself to us he sees Christ as the firstborn of all creation, the creator of all things, the sustainer. things. Now just think of the radical change in Paul's understanding of this person. That at one time he was persecuting him, thinking he was a blasphemer. Now he's seeing Christ as the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the fullness of all things, the reconciler, reconciler of all things to God, and as the one who is working mightily in him to advance the gospel. I was, I just was thinking about this phrase at the end of chapter one where Paul says, For this purpose, what purpose? To present every man complete in Christ. That's Paul's purpose for his life, to present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. Paul was able to say, I, I strive, I labor, but I'm aware of the fact that it's through his power working in me. This, this one who he's talked about in all these amazing uh, ways in in terms of who he is, that one is mightily working in me. The point is that there's a there's a sufficiency for all of us in Christ. There has to be a sufficiency for anything that God would put us into because he's all-sufficient. He's the all-sufficient one. He's The preeminent one. He's the one who has first place in everything. He's all that we need in order to live in a way that God is pleased with. John Piper said he is all that he might become all in all for us. In other words, Paul brings out the the wonder of the person of Christ in order to show us that our sufficiency is in Him. And we don't need to look to any other place, person, place, or thing in order to be pleasing to God. We must learn how Christ is all when there's a drought. And when there's disease, when our body fails us, we must learn the reality that Christ is all. We must learn that when we're discouraged. We must learn that when death comes to someone in our family or even as we're facing it. And we must learn it even when there's disobedience in others and in ourselves. Nevertheless, Christ is all and He's sufficient. In other words, how Christ is all and all in a fallen world. This is, what we're, this is what we're to be learning each day of our life. It takes time. It takes trials. It takes testing. It takes teaching. The teaching of the Holy Spirit. But that's why we're here today. That's why I'm trying to present these things, though very inadequately. Nevertheless, here it is in the Word of God the sufficiency of Christ so that's why we're here today that's why hopefully you'll pick up this book tomorrow and read it and ask God to reveal more of Christ to us when we pick that book up because that's what we need God's purpose is that we would be complete in Christ that's what Paul says He says he's laboring and striving that he might present every man complete in Christ. What's he doing? Well, he's, he's laboring and striving to teach people these truths, you see, to present the gospel. And as we embrace that, we'll see that we are complete in him. Well, that's just kind of a a uh, broad overview of what I think Paul is aiming at in this letter and again it's very simple really in one way it's so profound we can't take it in but it's very simple and that Christ the Christ is preeminent in all things and he's sufficient for our salvation and we're in Him and He's in us. Consequently, we're sufficient for God, what, whatever God puts us in, whatever situation God brings, brings us to because of Christ. Not because of any other thing, any other person, but simply because of Christ Himself. so, you know, they seem, they're such tremendous truths, but they're so practical. This is what I want to bring home. They're so practical because we, ha- we need to rest in this every day in every way because there's so many things that, that try to come in and say that, you know, you're not sufficient. Well, we aren't in ourselves, but in Christ we are. And that you're not going to make it. And this is too big. And this is too hard. And we just have to reject all that. And say, yeah, for me, but not for Christ. And Christ lives in me. And he's the all-sufficient one.